Good morning and welcome to Upward Vision. We're glad you have chosen to join us this morning. Upward Vision is a ministry of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church in Bloomington, Indiana. Now for today's message. Brandon was my full-time, on-call, junior high bully. He made my life horrific. Now, no one walks away from their junior high years of school saying, wow, I nailed it. That was great. I feel totally comfortable. I have lots of friends. Everything's working out, right? But Brandon really helped me make sure my self-esteem level didn't get too high. It started in the morning at gym. It ended in the afternoon uh, at Locker because it was a wonderful thing that we shared uh, locker space next to each other two out of the three years. Thank you for that. Um, uh, and I, was, I can say this, I was never stuck in a locker because I was freakishly tall, which helped in junior high as well. But because Brandon wasn't a quitter, he found out that I could fit in trash cans. So I can't stand Brandon. Can't stand him. Didn't like him then. And to be honest, if you ask me now, I'm like, hey, what about that junior high bully of mine? I would say my heart rate starts beating a little higher, and I just think of somebody that I'm like, "Mm -mm, don't like him, can't stand him. You know, since I'm on the topic, let's go through a list of people I can't stand. Here we go. (laughs) The softball team that beat Sherrod Oaks Christian Church East last Wednesday, 19 to two. I can't stand you either. With your smiling and high-fiving and having a good time while the Sherwood Oaks team sits there and cries. Grown men, people, 19 to 2. Oh, and I pitched that, 19 to 2 outing, yes. So if you're in the audience, glad you're here. Let's talk about some more people I can't stand. These are people I don't even know yet, and I can't stand them. Anybody who plans on dating my daughter in high school, okay? I don't know if you're in the building. I don't know where you are. I just know I don't, I don't like you. I don't want to like you. Now, it's different. Future son-in-laws of daughters, I'm going to be your biggest champion. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be there. I'm going to support. But the goobers that date my daughters between now and I do and I do, I can't stand you. I don't like you. All right. So this morning is going to get a little weird, okay? Uh, Because we're talking about people we cannot stand. If you're anything like me, there are people either from your past, your present, or in your family that you just can't stand. You don't like interacting with them. Maybe you you build uh, walls between uh, you and those relationships. You keep them at arm's length. You just cannot stand these individuals. Maybe it's people that have damaged you in the past, like Brandon, again, I'm, I'm supposed to be this goody-two-shoes, Jesus-loving Christian minister, but I'm not going to lie. If he was here today, I'd struggle. I mean, I'd play it cool because it's church and all, but that's pain that I still have, and I bet you you have that pain. Maybe people that we have learned to not trust from either the media or family. Now, I could list off a bunch of nationalities, and I bet you we would have some negative reactions just because media, just because, oh, there's somebody from there and they're dangerous people and we don't like them, we want to keep them at arm's length. Arm's length. What about family? I grew up in a household with grandparents that were very angry with people of color. 
And if it wasn't for a mom on drive homes, on the drive home to debrief me and tell me that's not the way it should be, I might be walking today with looking at somebody with pigment and saying, I don't like you, I don't trust you. Maybe we've picked up mistrust, people we can't stand just because of outside influences like family or media. People that uh, we assume are not as important as us. Again, this is gonna kind of hurt this morning. I was driving in the car the other day, we rolled up to an intersection, my two little girls look outside the window and there's somebody asking for money. And so, teachable moment, we have a conversation. They have lots and lots of questions. I don't have lots and lots of answers. From the back seat, I get the, well, if God loves them, we should do something immediately right now. Right, Dad? And that's the six-year-old. How, how do I deal with this? Sometimes we can't stand people because maybe they don't look like us, act like us, talk like us, smell like us, dress like us. Maybe we just look at other people and say, I need to keep you at arm's length because you are not like me. We often stop interacting with people we can't stand, even when it comes to something so important as our faith in Jesus Christ. And that is sad. And that is the danger I want to talk about today. We are on the second to last week in our series, The Good Book, 40 chapters that reveal the Bible's biggest ideas. This chapter in Acts, Acts 10, um, brings us the unmistakable conclusion that God loves the people we can't stand. So if you would like to, if you want to open up your Bible to Acts 10, we're going to be hanging out there for a few moments, talking about how Peter and a Gentile are used together for God to get them to understand that people loves, uh, G, uh, God loves the people we cannot stand. So let's take a look at that. Acts 10, 1 through 5. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian uh, Regiment. He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a, a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. Cornelius, this is a very interesting man. Cornelius is in, by every definition, a Gentile. Gentile just meaning not Jewish. He is a Roman commander, so he's a part of the Roman army that is now occupying Israel. So all Jews would look at him and say, enemy of God. He is um, from literally Italian descent. So he is from Rome. One more time, you are an enemy. Jewish people would look at him and say, enemy, outsider, Gentile. But this was a man that was spiritually curious. He was devout and God-fearing, and he led his household to worship God. Something attracted him to the God of Israel. He was praying at three o'clock in the afternoon and had a vision. He was scared, just like any of us would be if we saw an angel. But God calls Cornelius to action in that vision. Like the interaction we, uh, we observe between Jesus and Saul, we see God using a non-believer or an outsider of God's family for God's plans, and I love that. I love the fact that our God loves us so much that he will use us, people that love Jesus, people that are in God's family, and people that don't. People that can't stand God. He will use whoever he wants 
to build his kingdom. And I love that. Love that. This spiritual inquisitive outsider of God's family reacts promptly in obedience. God says, send men to Joppa, bring Peter back here. Peter has some amazing information that you need to know about salvation. And what does he do? He says, yes, Lord, let's get it done. Now, we see Peter in Acts 10, 10 through 16. Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, a dream or a vision that could be translated. He saw heaven open up in something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. <laughs> so the Gentile outsider reacts to God, how? Yes, yes, okay, let's do this. Peter, Christian, loves Jesus. Christian leader in the early church, what's his response to God? Surely not, Lord. No thanks. I love this. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him in a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. Peter, I relate to Peter. I think he might be my spirit animal. He is quick to action and quick to put his foot firmly in his mouth. Easily one of the just out-of-control disciples, but God still uses Peter, and that makes, that makes me happy that God, if God can use Peter, then he can definitely use me. Uh, now, his Jewish upbringing would have influenced him to have a loathing of all things Gentile, okay? In his Jewish upbringing, basically there were two sides, and Everyone, you and I would fit into either one of these. Either you were Jewish, you were Abraham's descendant, you were a family of God member, or you were an enemy. Either you were Jewish or you're an enemy. Either you are a family of God or you are a Gentile. So when I use the word Gentile, Gentile, outsider, God's enemy, these are all kind of words that, that fit together. Uh, even though Jesus called his disciples to reach the world, remember this? Remember Jesus saying, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Samaria, and the rest of the world? Where do we find Peter? 10 years after Jesus says this, he is still hanging out around Jewish communities. Jesus says, go to the world. Peter says, here's fine. So something has to give, something has to give. Now this is the second account of a vision in this story. And I'm, I'm here, I'm just John, I've never experienced a vision. But just because I haven't experienced something doesn't necessarily mean it is untrue. The only time that I've gotten close to a vision um, is uh, one summer night that I accidentally forgot to open up the windows while putting polyurethane down on uh, hardwood. And I don't know if it was so much a vision or if I was accidentally high. So I apologize, everybody's got a past, you know, so. You got that going on. But just because I haven't experienced it doesn't mean I can't look at scripture and say, God can use that. Matter of fact, um, I've never had a vision, but I've had that small voice. Have you ever had that small voice that like pushes you and pushes you? And sometimes uh, if you ignore it, it goes away. And if you don't, it kind of gets louder. Um, I was driving down Walnut Wednesday uh, and I saw a buddy of mine's car in Starbucks. And as I passed that, I'm like, oh, cool. My friend's at Starbucks. Hope he's having a great day. And I just couldn't get it out of my mind. I couldn't get it out of my mind. Matter of fact, I was, I was thinking about this very section. I'm like, I've never had a vision. And God's like, watch this. You need to go to Starbucks. And I'm like, I don't need to go to Starbucks. I'm on my way to a meeting. I went to Starbucks. Finally, 
finally it clicks. And I listened to that small voice. An hour and a half later, ministry happened. We encouraged one another. We were both having bad weeks. God does amazing things. Sometimes we just don't see it. So just because I haven't had a vision, doesn't mean it's not. So God calls Peter to action in his vision. This dream or vision happens around noon when Peter was waiting for lunch. Uh, God showed him a buffet of clean and unclean animals and ordered him to eat. Now, the Jewish dietary law uh, restricted certain animals, snakes, catfish. There were clean and unclean animals. They were animals that you can eat and you can't eat. And on this buffet table that God put in front of Peter, there's everything. And Peter's first reaction is, no, Lord, no. Man, not a good idea to say no to God. Uh, but God's like, you need to understand what I've made clean, you are in no position to argue with. It's hilarious that Peter looks at God and says, no, 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 I know the rules. God says, I made the rules. In Mark 7, Jesus says that all food is clean. And now we see Peter being reminded that what God considers clean, his followers should also. If Peter could get over this cultural norm of clean and unclean food, he would be one step closer to see that God loved the people that he could not stand. Now Acts 10, 27 to 29 says this, while talking with him, with Cornelius, uh, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any obligation. May I ask why you sent me? And he basically says, an angel told me that you have the information that I need for salvation. Socially unacceptable to have friendly relationships or commercial transactions with Gentiles. Jews would look at Gentiles, outsiders, and say, I want nothing to do with you. You are unclean. You are not worthy of my time. You are not worthy of God's love. I'm putting my arm out, and I'm keeping you at bay. And guys, I feel like you and I struggle with that very same thing. We determine in our minds who is right, who is worthy, and who is not for Jesus. And we need to be reminded what Peter is being reminded here. Um, we see here that Peter finally understands God's vision of the clean and unclean food that translates to people. That Jesus is for everyone. There is no favoritism. There is no uh, male or female. There's no slave or free. There's no rich or poor. There's no black, white, green, purple. Whatever it is, Jesus is for his people. He is for his creation. And Peter is reminded of this. Cornelius and his household were eager to hear how to please the Lord, and they listened to Peter, the very first sermon recorded in Scripture to Gentiles. It took a vision from God, and God using an outsider to convince Peter that everyone is worthy of Christ's love. So let's kind of take a hard look at us. And I say us because I'm, I'm a part of this for sure. What are some things that might be holding us back from influencing outsiders of Christ? People that we would consider untouchables, unworthy. They're not there yet. Maybe if they change, we can have that conversation. The first one I can think of, and again, I'm not pointing a finger at you, I'm pointing a finger at me as well, is judgment. We often find ourselves in the role of the morality police. Christian culture has found a place that says, 
if you don't play by our rules, you are not worthy to play our game. And that is disheartening. We as insiders, people that love Jesus, look at other people and say, because of what you do, because of your behaviors, because of your language, because of the intake of whatever chemicals you are putting in your body, you are at arm's length and you are not worthy yet. You, you, you fix that and then I'll have a conversation about faith. Now, 1 Corinthians 5.12 says this, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Let me, let me rephrase that. Let me, actually, just let me say that again because that, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? It has become very clear to the outside world that many followers of Christ are more than willing to tell other people what they're doing wrong way before we have the opportunity to influence them for Jesus Christ. And guys, that hurts. It's painful. The next thing I feel like is a roadblock is it difficult to connect to outsiders. There will always be a gravitational pull to be towards people that look and act like us. I struggle with this one the most. I have the opportunity to be on staff here at Sherwood Oaks uh, to celebrate, to, to influence, and to love high school students. And you'll never guess, 99.9% .9 of my circles include church people. I hang around church people every day, every week. And I'm telling you, it's difficult. It's difficult to break out of these circles to try to befriend and influence other people that don't look like me, don't act like me, don't speak like me. Luckily, I have kids. I, I try to go to their games. I go to their plays and I try to hang out with other parents. Um, we have neighbors. But to be very honest, if we don't change our circles, we're gonna be stuck with insiders. The last one is fear of rejection. Now, I've got, um, I've got a ton of people in my family that are not followers of Christ. And, and every time I feel like I try to bring up faith, have you ever had somebody like not physically pat you on the head and smile and dismiss you, but like verbally or emotionally, kind of like, <laughs> whatever. Rejection is painful. We've gotten, into the, uh, we've gotten into the point where if we tell a coworker, if we tell a neighbor about our faith story that, that Jesus has changed our lives and we're rejected, it hurts. It's painful. That's no fun. And so we have gotten into that pattern of saying, I don't like pain, so I'm gonna not tell people about my faith. So now that we've talked about some of these issues, what are some of the steps we can take this week, this week to love people that we can't stand? Because I'm sure through the last few minutes, you've thought of, that neighbor, that mother-in-law, whatever it is, whoever it is, that you just cannot stand. First of all, Acts 15, 19 says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for outsiders, Gentiles, enemies of God, who are turning to God. Let me rephrase that. We need to remove every roadblock we possibly can for outsiders to make a decision about Jesus Christ. It is, in my opinion, that we need to step completely out of the way and help people see that Jesus is a big deal in everything we do. The first thing is the gospel is offensive enough. This one hurts too. Jesus is a stumbling block, scripture says. He calls us to give up self, give up life, and die for him. This is not an easy conversation. Matter of fact, our future money, children, education, work, happiness are all invested in him. And so when we try to create roadblocks 
that says, well, you have to become Jewish before Christian. You have to act like this before you can come to my church. You have to dress like this so you can fit in. We are creating roadblocks that say, hey, I know the gospel's hard, but I'm going to make it that much harder because you need to conform to my standards of morality. We need to get out of the way and allow the gospel to be step one. Number two, to diversify your friend groups. Let us fight the urge to hang around only people that act like us, connect with neighbors and coworkers. This week, my challenge for you is this. As we take obstacles out of our way, out of uh, the ways of outsiders, we need to chase and run after the mess. Instead of looking at the mess of other people's lives and saying, well, I don't wanna get a part of that. I don't wanna hurt my reputation. I don't wanna be a part of that crazy. What we can do is look at Jesus and the example he set as he ran toward the mess. And we can do the same. And the last one is a self-awareness. At the end of the day, we are all in the same position and we need Jesus Christ. It does not matter if we've been a part of church culture for 40 or 50 years, or if this is literally your very first time here. We have all fallen short of the glory of Jesus Christ. We cannot be perfect, but we can be made righteous in Jesus Christ. Once we fully understand that we're in the same boat as outsiders and enemies of God, the only difference between us and them is that we are chasing after Jesus Christ and still messing up along the way. We have that better understanding of love and grace. When we can look at somebody with a messy life and say, you know what, I was in your boat. Matter of fact, I still screw up, but I have Jesus Christ. When we take a step back and realize that we are all on the level playing field and that we all need Jesus Christ, the people that we can't stand become people that we can run towards. My prayer and my hope for our congregation, this little piece of kingdom in the world, is that we would look at people that we can't stand, people that we may hate, people that we don't want to interact with, and start changing our perspective and say, you know what? They're worth it because I'm worth it. Jesus looked at us and said, I love you. And when we take that to heart, we can see that Jesus says, I love them. Can you love them too? That's my prayer and that's my hope. If you want to have a conversation about this, if you disagree with me, let's do coffee. Let's have a conversation. If you want to come forward uh, and pray, now's a great time. If you want to do it after the fact, that's great too. But guys, don't leave this building without encouraging someone, being a part of someone's plan to influence other people this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you glory and honor because Jesus is for all people. Jesus is for all nations. He is for every single one of the creation around. Help us see that. Help us live that life that understands that we are so loved because we are your family and so are they. Help us see that. Help us, help our hearts break for the people and the messy lives around us so that we can chase after them. We can run after them and let them know that Jesus is real. Let them know that Jesus is the biggest, most important, life-changing, eternity-breaking relationship they could possibly possess. Help us run toward the mess and help us love people that we can't stand. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Upward Vision, a ministry of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Upward Vision can be heard on this station every Sunday morning. If you would like to come and worship with us, we are located at 2700 East Rogers Road in Bloomington, Indiana, just south of the College Mall. 
Our service times are at 8 o'clock a.m. for a more traditional feel, 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. for a less formal and more contemporary setting. To receive a free copy of today's message or for more information about the church, go to www.socc.org or contact us via phone at 334-0206. Thanks for joining us. Continue to look to God this week as you maintain the upward vision.